Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit still speaks. Lord, when we open your word, no matter who's speaking your word, you are here preaching that sermon, Lord. Jesus, you're here in this room and you're speaking to our hearts and minds and pray that you would do that this morning as we listen to Paul's words to this church and we glean from it. Your spirit speaks to our hearts for your glory in Jesus name. If only, if only, right? If only I had a different job. If only I could live there. If only I could live here, you know, only I had a cabin in the mountains, right? If only I had that thing or this thing. If only I were married or if only I, I had kids. If only I wasn't married and I didn't have kids, then, you know, then I would be happy, right? Then I would be finally content. You know, how many of us have said those words or thought those thoughts this morning? Well, according to a, a poll taken in June of last year, Unhappiness and discontentment are, are at an all-time high in the United States. Only 14% of people say that they're happy with their lives. You know, in this room today, are only 14% of you happy with your lives? Well, let's hope not. You know, many people believe that contentment and joy are determined by their circumstances. If only they had this thing, then they would be satisfied. If, if only this hadn't happened, then... Of course, they would be happy. A great example of this is one of the most famous love triangles in all of history. It, it was between a, a man named Jacob, his girlfriend, Rachel, and her older sister, Leah. Their story is found in Genesis chapter 29 and 30. Some of you might be very familiar with this story. Well, Jacob thought, if only I could be, be married to beautiful Rachel, then I, I'd be happy. So he worked for seven years to earn the money so he could marry her. Well... Rachel had an older sister named Leah, and the Bible tells us that she was weak in the eyes, which is a polite way of saying that she wasn't very good looking. And Leah, she thought, you know, if only I could get a man to love me, then I would be, then I would be happy. And so on the day of Rachel and Jacob's wedding, she kind of swooped in and tricked Jacob into marrying her. Instead, she was covered in a veil, and it was really dark. Beware, men. So just... You know, just a side note, you know, always lift the veil. All right. And when Jacob finally realized what had happened, it was, it was already too late. He'd been tricked into marrying Leah instead of Rachel. Now, Rachel knew that Jacob didn't want her, but she hoped that he would grow. He would grow to love her, especially if she could give him some kids. But Jacob, he kept thinking, if only, if only I were married to Rachel, then I'd be happy. So he completely ignored Leah. And he went to work for seven more years so that he could marry Rachel. And then he finally, he did marry Rachel. But life with Rachel wasn't as good as he had expected it to be because Rachel was struggling with infertility. And she was frustrated and she was very disappointed and Rachel began saying, if only I could have children. In fact, at one point she said, give me children or I shall die. 
Leah, on the other hand, she had no trouble getting pregnant. And with each child, she had hoped that this child would cause Jacob to finally love her. She named her first son Reuben, which means, see, a son. And she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. But he didn't. And then she had another son, Simeon, which means the Lord has heard, because the Lord has heard that I'm hated. He has given me this son also. Now Leah thought that now, with two sons, he, her husband would finally love her. But again, it didn't happen. And then she gave birth to a third son, Levi, which means join, because she said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. And yet her husband still ignored her and still he didn't love her. Jacob just wanted to be with Rachel, but Rachel is saying, I can never be happy because unless I have kids. So everybody in this story is miserable. And finally, after years of trying, Rachel gets pregnant and has a son. And they name him Joseph, which means may God add. In other words, give me another one. Give me another child. One kid isn't enough. I need more. In the story we see, we see ourselves. How many of us have spent our whole lives frustrated and disappointment, disappointed and, and wishing things were different than they, than they are, than they are today? But here's the radical truth that the Bible teaches, that you have contentment and enjoy in life regardless of your current circumstances. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul the Apostle, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to address this very topic, and he's, and he's going to give us a solution which, we can, which will set us free from the endless loop of saying, if only. Now, the title of today's message, if you're taking notes this morning, is Bloom Where You Are Planted. Bloom Where You're Planted. What we're going to see in this passage is that the key to contentment in the midst of your circumstances, circumstances is knowing the call and the calling, knowing the hope, sorry, and the calling you have in Christ. And that's going to be the sentence that kind of sums up what we're going to talk about and look at today is the sentence, the key to contentment in the midst of your circumstances is knowing the hope and the calling you have in Christ. So just take a picture of that, write it down. You know, it's kind of synopsis we're going to look at. So if somebody asked you today, hey, what was the sermon about today? Well, he's like, well, it wasn't taught by the guy I thought it was going to be taught by, but this is what it was about. So we're going to take it, we're going to break down this passage, and we're going to study it. And so we look at the first part of that sentence, the key to contentment in the midst of your circumstances, the key to contentment in the midst of your circumstances. This section begins here in chapter 7, verse 10, where Paul says, To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, 1 Corinthians is a letter which Paul wrote in response to two things. First one was questions about doctrine, which the Corinthians had written to him about in a previous letter. And the second was a, di a disturbing report that he had received from the Corinthian church. So in the first six chapters, Paul addressed that disturbing report he received from the Corinthian church. And then starting here in chapter 7, Paul is now answering those doctrinal questions that the Corinthians had written uh, to ask him about. Now, the first of their questions that Paul answers is a question about marriage. 
Now, Greek culture was divided into two primary mindsets, the hedonists and the aesthetics. And the, the hedonists said, you only live once, so we should party like it's 1999, right? YOLOs, for some of you who have been born after the year 2005, you know. The aesthetics said true virtue is found in denying yourself of physical pleasure in order to, do, in order to develop your character. And so when the Corinthians had become Christians, some of them had brought these mentalities with them into the church. Some of the people in the church thought like hedonists. They were still engaging in sexually immoral relationships. And Paul addressed that back in chapter 6. But there were other people in the church who thought like aesthetics. They, they believed that it was more holy to reject physical pleasure. And so when it came to the issue of marriage, some of these people were going around saying that it was better and more holy for, for married people not to have sex. And Paul addressed that in the beginning of chapter 7, which we looked at last time. But some people were going one step further and saying that married couples should actually divorce so that they could be single for Jesus. So when Paul says there in verse 10, to the married people I give this charge, he is speaking to Christians who are actually married to Christians. And he says, this isn't my opinion. This is what the Bible clearly states, that you should not get divorced. Now, you might wonder, why would Paul even need to say this, right? Shouldn't Christians already know they shouldn't get divorced? Well, keep in mind that at this time, both the Greeks and the Jews practiced what we would call kind of no-fault divorce, which means if you didn't want to be married anymore, or if you found somebody else you, you liked better, divorce was easy, and it was just you know, socially acceptable at that time, which, which is why in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 19, we read that Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Because that's what the rabbis at the time, that's what they were teaching and doing. And Jesus responded by reminding them of God's original design for marriage in the book of Genesis chapter 2, where it says that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. It was true that the law of Moses had, had given an allowance for divorce in some cases, but Jesus explained that that allowance for divorce was intended for cases of sexual immorality. It wasn't just cop launch, so you could just kind of get, you know, divorced for willy-nilly for whatever you wanted, you know. In Corinth, though, some uh, Christians wanted to get divorced because they thought it would actually be better and more spiritual be, to be single for Jesus, if only. If only I was single, they said, then I could really serve the Lord. Then I would really be sold out to God. And Paul says, no, no, that's not what God wants. Instead, seek the Lord and serve him in the state that you are currently in right now. He goes on there in verse 12 and 13. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Here Paul is speaking to Christians who are married to someone who is not a Christian. These people were wondering, wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be better for us to leave our unbelieving spouses so we can either be single for Jesus or so we can marry someone else who is a Christian? And Paul says, no. No, don't do that. If your unbelieving spouse is willing to stay married to you, then you should stay married to them. And now he's going to explain why. 
In verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Well, wait a second. Is Paul saying that if, if a Christian is married to someone who isn't a Christian, that that non-Christian spouse and the kids are somehow automatically kind of saved because of the Christian in their family? No. No, no. The Bible is very clear. And, and, and Paul the Apostle is very clear in his other writings that there's only one way, one way to be saved, and that is for you to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And nobody else can do it for you. Every person, every person has to repent and believe for themselves. So then what is Paul saying here? What is Paul saying? What Paul is saying in verse 14 is that, is that if a believer is married to an unbeliever, that marriage is considered a legitimate marriage before God. God recognizes that marriage. And it's not an unholy union that the Christian person needs to get out of. And the kids in that family are considered legitimate children. They are not considered unclean as if they were a product of an unholy union. You see, some people in the Corinthian church were saying that because their spouse wasn't a Christian, their marriage wasn't a real marriage in the eyes of God or that it was, that was an unholy union. Therefore, it was better for them to divorce their unbelieving spouse. And Paul says, no, no. If you are married and your spouse isn't a Christian, your marriage is not unholy. Rather, it is a legitimate marriage in God's eyes. And marriage is to be treated as a sacred thing because the Bible tells us that marriage was designed by God to be a picture of the relationship between, between God and his people. So if you are married to someone who is not a believer, don't seek to get divorced. He goes on there in verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. If your spouse leaves you, Paul says, that's a different story. There's no, there's no long, they're no longer bound. You're no longer bound to them. Verse 16. For how do you know, wife, though, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Paul ends this section here by giving some hope to those who are married to someone who is not a Christian. Yes, it may be hard. It may be complicated. But know this. Know this. That God wants to use you to have an influence on them. So live out your faith before your unbelieving spouse in a way that makes them want to know Jesus and follow him like you do. Pray for them. Love them. And be a godly witness in their lives in the hope that they will one day put their faith in Jesus and be saved. And now Paul boils it all down there in verse 17. In verse 17, he says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Now he goes on there in verses 18 through 24. He says, If you're a Jew, you don't need to become like a Greek. If you're a Greek, you do not need to become like a Jew. If you're a slave, you can serve the Lord as a slave. If you can get free, well, that's great. That's good. Do it. But if you don't have to wait until you're free, you know, to serve the Lord. Whatever situation or circumstance you, you are in right now, you can live for and serve the Lord. You know, some, 
the, some of the Corinthians were saying, if, if only I were single, if only I wasn't married to an unbeliever, if only I had a different job, then I would be on fire. I'd be on fire for Jesus. And Paul is saying, no, you can live wholeheartedly for the Lord right now in whatever situation that you find yourself in. And you can learn to be content in this place where God has you at this moment. You know, this idea of being content, even in the midst of very difficult circumstances, not just something that Paul talked about to others. It was something that Paul had learned. He had learned and experienced for himself. Look at what Paul said in his letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, starting verse 11. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. No matter what his circumstances, Paul said, I have learned how to be content. In whatever situation, in whatever situation I am in, being content is something that you and I can learn. So how do you learn to be content in the midst of your current, current circumstances? Well, that brings us to the second part of our sentence. The key to contentment in the midst of your circumstances is knowing the hope that you have in Christ, is knowing the hope that you have in Christ. Verse 25, he goes on and he says, now concerning the betrothed. Here Paul is going to speak to those who are not yet married. You know, we tend to use the word betrothed to speak of someone who is engaged to be married. Though where it says betrothed, this is the translation of a Greek word, which means someone of marrying age who is not married. Some of your translations might actually even say uh, virgin. Paul says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. He says there in verse 25, verse 26, I know that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. The present distress that Paul is talking about here is most likely persecution that the Corinthian Christians were experiencing. And Paul says, in light of this persecution you're facing there in verse 27, if you're married, stay married. If you're not married, now's not a good time to get married because those who marry will have worldly troubles. Think about it. Christians are being persecuted in Corinth. So if you were married, then, to, then you would, if you left your family, that would mean you're leaving them to suffer persecution on their own. And if you were married, well, if you, be, if you became the target of the persecution, now they're going to go after your, your spouse and maybe your children as well. It's not wrong to get married by any means. That's not what Paul is saying here. But, but this might not be a good time to do it in light of this present distress, Paul says. He goes on in verse 28. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. And then he, he, he goes on in verse 31. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now, not only were the Corinthians facing persecution uh, for their faith, but Paul was also reminding them of something Jesus had told his disciples. That, you know, that one day, perhaps very soon, one day, perhaps very soon, this present world is going to pass away. Jesus told his disciples that, that you know, that he's going to return like a thief in the night. You know, and how does a thief show up? He doesn't, you know, does he, you know, send you a text and say, hey, I'm on my way, you know. 
get out what you need stolen and just have it on the porch and make things easy. No, he doesn't, he doesn't call ahead and announce that he's coming. No, he just shows up. He just shows up. And the only way to be ready for a thief is to always be ready. So the Christians were ready at that time, and we should be ready today. Because one thing's for sure, we are closer now. We are closer now to the fulfillment of that promise than ever before. I hope you know that, dear saints, this morning. And I'm looking forward to the return of the Lord. I hope you are too. But here's the thing. For the early Christians, the return was of the Jesus and the end of the world was not something that they feared. It was not something that they feared. No, not at all. It was something they looked forward to with hope and great expectation. If, if, you read, if you've read the book of Revelation, you know that in the end, in the end, we lose. No, in the end, we win. Jesus wins. We know the end to our stories this morning. We know and we can know the end to our stories. The end of the world it isn't something we fear. It's something we look forward to with great hope. In 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 10, Peter says, We know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the world and everything in it will be destroyed. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What that means for you and me today is that you can be sure, you can be sure if your faith is in Jesus, that the joy and satisfaction that your heart desires will be fulfilled for all of eternity in heaven. You know that? All of eternity. You realize that how freeing it is to know that? Here's why. Because if I know that for all of eternity, the deepest desires of my heart will be met and fulfilled, that I will be lacking nothing, then that sets me free to say, okay, so if I don't, got, if I don't have everything I need in this life and everything that I wanted in this life, that's okay. That's okay. I can be content no matter what my current circumstances, knowing that the deep longings of my heart will be fulfilled forever, forever in heaven. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, for, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Think about it like this. For the person who doesn't have the hope of eternal life in Jesus. The good moments in this life are as good as it will ever get. But for the person who does have the hope of eternal Jesus, uh, hope of eternal life in Jesus, for you, the bad things that you experience in this life are as bad as it will ever get. In this world, Jesus told us, you will have tribulation. There will be hardship. There will be difficulty. There will be disappointment. There will be pain. But take heart, he said, because I have overcome the world. So the key to contentment in the midst of your circumstances begins with knowing the hope that you have in Jesus. But there's only, but there's one more step. And that brings us to the third part of our sentence. The key to contentment in the midst of your circumstances is knowing the hope and the calling that you have in Christ. In the final verses of this chapter, Paul speaks to those who are not married, and he tells them the benefit of not being married is that you are able to give your undivided devotion to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with getting married. Marriage is a great thing from God. But as for me, Paul says, I'm embracing my unmarried state as an opportunity 
to give my undivided devotion to the Lord and live holy and fully for him. If God is really sovereign, and he is, if God is really loving, and he is, that means that whatever situation you are in right now, there is, there is some way in which God wants to use that situation in your life in order to do something in you, or he wants to use you in that situation for the sake of someone else. That's how Paul was able to be content in that prison cell, because he knew that God had allowed him to end up in that place for a purpose, for a purpose to do something in him and to do something through him. Whatever circumstances, whatever circumstance he was in, Paul would have been able to say in faith, by faith, I am where I am by the grace of God, because God is using these circumstances to accomplish something in me. And he wants to use me in the midst of these circumstances in a special way. Paul was encouraging these people to embrace their current circumstances as a God-given opportunity for them to grow in their relationship with God and for them to serve God in a unique and special way. Now, I'll tell you this. In whatever circumstances you are facing, there is a way that God desires to use that in your life to form you, shape you, and teach you. And in the midst of that circumstance, there are unique opportunities for you to serve him. Friends, rather than despising your current circumstances, rather than saying, if only, if only, if only I was this, or if, if only I had that, choose instead to bloom wherever you're currently planted and ask God to show you how he wants to work in you and through you in the midst of your current circumstances. And know this, this is important, contentment doesn't equal complacency. Contentment does not equal complacency. Choosing to be content with where God has you right now doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to, to change your circumstances. As he said to the slave, you know, if you, you can get free, hey, that's great. You should, you should. But right now, in this moment, in this moment, you choose by faith to be content where God has you, knowing that there are things he wants to do in you and through you where you are at right, right now. Right, we talked and we began with that story earlier about Jacob and Leah and Rachel. Well, I didn't tell you the whole story. Genesis 29, after years of saying, if only, if only I could be married, and then getting married and saying, if only I could have children, and then having a child, and if only I could get my husband to love me and pay attention to me, but never getting the love and attention she desired. We read that Leah got pregnant once again, and she had another child, but this time she named the child Judah, which means praise. Because she said, this time I will praise the Lord. Leah chose to stop saying if only, and she chose instead to praise the Lord. Because even if her husband didn't love her, she knew that God did. And she chose to seek him. And she found in him all she needed and all she ever desired. We live in a broken world, and that much is obvious, where so often things do just, they do not go the way that we wish they would. We suffer disappointments. We suffer loss. We suffer pain. We suffer frustration. I'm sure there are many of you in this room that have, have suffered loss and suffered pain these past couple years and disappointments. But the good news of the gospel is that God loves you. 
And Jesus Christ came to this world in order to give you a hope that goes beyond this world. He took your sin upon himself on the cross that you and I could be forgiven and healed and reconciled to God. And so you could have the hope of eternal life. And until that day comes, he has a purpose and a plan with your life here on this earth, here in this city, here in this church, to work in you and to use you to do his work in the lives of others. If you have that hope and that calling, then you will be equipped to face any and every circumstance you face in this life. And you only have, and the only way to have that hope is by putting your faith in Jesus, by trusting in and clinging to and relying on who he is and what he did to save you through his life, death, and resurrection. I urge you to do that today. The key to contentment in the midst of your circumstances is knowing the hope and the calling that you have in Christ. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.